The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Well, my personal China bellwether stock is Alibaba, B-A-B-A. Stock's down 17% today, 52-week low. I blame the political situation in China, and I blame all emerging market strategists as well. And that includes Damien Sassauer, who is our chief emerging market strategist. Is the By second the way, Damian, largest? Do you cover the UK as well as chief emerging market strategist? <laughs> uh, no, I don't cover the UK, but uh, people have been asking me that actually. Exactly. So yeah, I guess it's, it's. Is the second largest economy in the world yeah. uninvestable? Debt demographics and declining productivity, that is China. And for me, look, it comes down to reserves in an environment like this. It's who has liquidity buffers to protect their currencies during times of distress. China's got three tri trillion reasons not to be worried, but the rapid deterioration of their currency base is not to be ignored. I mean, we're down 7.5% year to date. They've lost about $250 billion of soft currency reserves this year. That's quite a bit of money, but it pales in comparison to what we're seeing across the whole of EM. Mm -hmm. I mean, reserves are down 8.1% across you know, the major 18 markets. And uh, I mean, you've got countries like Malaysia, Indonesia, the Philippines that are just feeling the pain and their currencies are trading pretty much at all time lows. So, you know, where do we go from here? It's anyone's guess. But not uninvestable, right? I mean, how can you even say that about such a huge economy given a longer time horizon? Clearly, even if you have concerns now, there's gotta be some opportunity down the this road. This is the <laughs> worst case scenario for an Alibaba investor, Absolutely. for example, an Alibaba investor was doing one buying one thing, but it's not buying the growth of the middle class in China. That's it. Forget the internet. Forget e-commerce. That was the play. Yeah. Now, uh, offsetting that was this broad thing called China risk. <laughs> this is China risk. The government can come in and shut you down tomorrow yeah and they can block out the truth i mean look i think all of us inherently fundamentally we but, just but, but want they they could do that last year yeah that's it that, but, that, that, but and I'm next saying. year that that hasn't changed at all just because she has stacked some governing board he was still all powerful before this yes he was but i yeah. mean the question was was he going to use that power and how was he going to use that power i mean look i think a lot of people are getting up in arms this morning about uh, how he stacked the deck, not so much with uh, she loyalists, but really with people who are sympathetic to the COVID zero policy, right? So that was the big thing. I think most analysts, not myself, thought that that policy might very well change before the end of the year, if right, not in right. the beginning of next year. And now that seems to be out the door. So I think that's why uh, Chinese equities, why A shares, why the Hong Kong, uh, you know, why, why everything is kind of down today. Look, it's anyone's guess, but I mean, for me, I mean, it's it's about liquidity. And if you don't have the ability to protect your currency and protect currency stability in times of distress, you know, everything else goes out the door, including the equity valuations for many of those stocks like Maituan, Tencent, and Alibaba. But is that what we're watching right now? I mean, um, we've been looking at 690 to 7 
for seven thirty mm, now almost. Yeah, no, I for, mean, look, for it, so long, you know, it, it's not huge swings. This isn't like the pound or the euro. This isn't like crazy talk. It's Argentina a managed currency, exactly. It's a managed yeah. currency, but look, it is a currency that is so heavily involved in global trade. And you know, we now, I mean, look, if you just look at export flows, I mean, they came out overnight. I mean, exports are down significantly. I'm talking double digits. China and the U.S., China and the eurozone down seven percent. China and the U.K. down eleven percent. So you know, global trade is going in one direction, and that's down. And you know, that means that you know, if there's not enough demand for China's exports abroad, it's just going to weigh that much more heavily on its domestic economy. And look, if you just look at unemployment, it's ticked up to 5.5% overnight. You know, retail sales are down again. No one is lending in China because why lend to households or to small companies if, to your point, you know, the government could come in and take it from you tomorrow, so right? What, so what, what does this mean then for not if Paul wants to buy Alibaba or not, but what does this mean for if Tesla wants to sell more cars in China? Ah, uh, that's a great or question. Volkswagen. What does this mean if J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs want to do more business in China? Well, in Matt, Hong Kong? I, I know Matt loves the auto sector, so let's yep. go there. You let's know, Tesla there. slashed their prices by five percent overnight, right? In yep. China, and so, the currency weekend. So they're, but they're <laughs> because they're starting a car, they're starting a price war for electronic vehicles With in Neo China and others, and yeah. that and that is what yeah. and and so the, the, they've laid the gauntlet down. So that's a very different story. But we must remember how auto drives not just China uh, I mean the Eastern European bloc is completely hungry Poland Czech Republic dominated by auto sales and so if we now get into a price war where you know every you know part they're manufacturing is worth that much less it's gonna be really really painful for a lot of these countries operating out along the periphery in emerging markets and uh, it's not just little startups like Tesla right yeah entrenched incumbent automakers like Volkswagen. Volkswagen yeah. They're sending their CEO with the German chancellor to <laughs> Beijing next month to yeah. probably plead on bended knee for more access. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, look, I mean, look, it's very difficult to gauge where we are. What I can tell you is that even the economies that got out in front of the tightening cycle, the Brazils, the Chiles, the Czech Republics, everyone, you know, you know, you're finally starting to see them pump the brakes on tightening, but how much more can they pump the brakes really with inflation running hot the way it is? I don't know, but activity, I mean, right now, technically Brazil, Chile, some of these economies are technically in recession probably as we speak, you know? And so for me, it's gonna be very interesting to see some of the central bank meetings we're seeing this week. We've got Brazil on Wednesday, we've got Colombia toward the end of the week, we've got Hungary this week, those are all very very important economies to see, you know, where their central banks are at, where their heads are at, and whether or not they can stem the decline. But with reserves coming off, what that means is that it exposes investors to risk of capital outflows in mass. And that's where we are. The life and times of an emerging market strategist. It's very difficult to create a bullish narrative, Paul, I swear to you. <laughs> Luckily, you're doing well in fantasy football, so that's probably <laughs> and more I was going to say, and a sports betting expert. <laughs> and a sports betting expert on top of that. Boy, well, that's a that's a combo right there. Uh. Damien Sassauer, he's our chief strategist for all things emerging markets at Bloomberg Intelligence. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com. Just a weird tape here. I got the S&P up two tenths of one percent, the Dow up seven tenths of one percent, and the Nasdaq down eight tenths of one percent. So, well, I guess the tech stocks are getting yes. hit super hard because of the China concerns, yep. right? Yep. And I think the broader market is up on um, relief out of the UK that Rishi Sunak is going to be 
the prime minister. It seems that seems like the reasonable choice. And we're by I'll the play. way, we're set up for almost six billion dollars. Uh, so earnings from companies yep. that have six trillion dollars, sorry, in market cap, like massive. Come to, Tomorrow yeah, we yeah. got. General Electric, we got General Motors, we got Coca-Cola. I mean, just a ton. And then tech at the uh, end of the week. At the end of the, no, yep. at the end of the day tomorrow, yes, after the bell, right. Microsoft and, Ali, uh, and uh, Alphabet, okay. which is, of course, Google. Yeah. yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, it'll be good stuff. So, you know, earnings, sharpen your pencil. Let's check in on somebody who does this uh, kind of uh, stock stuff for a living. Uh, Robert Stimson, CIO and Portfolio Manager at Oak Associates. So, Robert, we've had a couple of three days of some you know, upward moves in the market. And what do you make of that? Is that, are we still in this bear market, but we're just getting a little bit of a technical bump or is there anything else going on out there? Well, the market certainly has been, you know, healthier or stronger the last week or so. But, um, you know, we do that, we do view that as uh, kind of a recovery from a very oversold position. Um, the market was very washed out after uh, sustained weakness since August. And, uh, you know, it's been more of a, of a bounce, in our opinion, uh, given we're in a window between, you know, a, a bottom in September and a uh, earnings season in November. So, but do you think that was the bottom in September or, um, you know, does it really depend on what happens this earnings season? Um, if we have a big recession, is it likely to come next year? I guess these are the questions. These are the questions everyone's asking, but, you know, in general, I tend to say that, you know, a recession doesn't matter for stocks. They simply do not like a slowing economy, and that is what we have. So whether it's a mid-cycle slowdown or a soft landing or a recession, uh, stocks tend to struggle uh, when the economy is slowing, and that's the environment we're in. So the last week may have been better, uh, but we do think it's going to be well into next year uh, before stocks get further signals that a sustained advance is really possible. And bottoming is a process, and we're in the middle of that process. So what do we do here? I mean, do I just take my money and put it in a two-year bond and get my 4.5%? Is that what I do until I get a better sense of where this economy is going? Well, that depends if you're a long-term investor or a short-term investor. Um, at Oak Associates, we are long-term investors, and the market is certainly presenting a lot of long-term opportunities here. Um, given the decline the market has experienced uh, you know, year-to-date, uh, valuations in many sectors are very attractive. And if you're able to take a long-term view and not worried about this quarter or what the, the January number is going to look like, um, you should do very well. Where? What sectors do you uh, like? Well, you know, one group we like is the semiconductors. Uh, they've been under a lot of pressure on concerns over a new sort of chip war with China. Um, but valuations have come down a lot from a, a year ago, year and a half ago, uh, when the industry was showing, uh, you know, double ordering and concerns over supply chain issues. Um, and we were a little more cautious on the group back then, but valuations have contracted. So now we're more constructive on it. Um, Can you buy them with, as a group, though? I, I've been really confused because it seems like um, chips that are made for PCs are pretty much worthless. I mean, we're, yeah. we're puking them. And, and chips that are made for you know, cars are I impossible to find still. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, anything uh, PC, server, gaming related, 
um, not only is there abundant supply at this point, but um, a lot of that demand was pulled forward during the pandemic, um, and now there's just not as much of a need for it. So, yeah, the opportunities are not in the PC. They're more in the industrial, the automotive, as well as the equipment sector. Um, names like KLA, Tencore, uh, LAM Research, their long-term sales are driven by generational changes, improvements in yields, and new factories, and we know that those are going to continue regardless of the current supply of certain chips. So, Robert, you're based in Akron, right? Yep. All right. How – the great state of Ohio, uh, by the yeah, way. but it's perilously close to Michigan, I will say. <laughs> perilously close. How's the economy in Akron, Ohio? When I think Akron, Ohio, I think good middle year. America, good folks. Tires. What? Tires. Rubber. Oh, of course. Tires. Yeah. Absolutely. How are things in Akron? You know, our economy is, is, is quite stable at this point. Um, I think we're still seeing some of the byproducts of the pandemic – uh, restaurants are a little bit understaffed. We're seeing a lot more automated teller machines at restaurants, grocery stores. Um, but I think like much of America, the employment situation has been really strong nationwide. And as a result, uh, there's still uh, labor shortages. It's some um, basic s- service industries. Yep. And, um, you know, it kind of gives you the feel that the, the economy is doing fine. All right. Well, your Ohio State Buckeyes I think you're going to be upset this weekend in Happy Valley by Penn State. That's the call right here. I'm taking the points, whatever. We'll see. All right, Robert, thank you so much. We appreciate that. Robert Stimson, CIO and Portfolio Manager at Oak Associates, uh, located in the great city of Akron, Ohio, entire capital. Uh, Good stuff right there. Matt, go when you're sitting in front of your Bloomberg terminal, and then you click on uh, Vessels, and it shows you where all the uh, global ships are all around the world in port, in transit. And so we've been focusing on that really since the beginning of the pandemic and focusing on some of the big U.S. ports like Los Angeles, Long Beach, things like that, Savannah on the East Coast, and of course, uh, Bayonne, New Jersey, which is the center of global trade, in my opinion. Um, you look at it now, boy, there's not that many ships off port. Things really gotten a lot better just looking at this. So we want to bring in Gene Soroka. He's the CEO of the Port of Los Angeles. He joins us here in our Bloomberg interactive broker studio who's been really good making himself available during this pandemic to give us a sense of kind of what's going on in the port of Los Angeles because that really is one of the the main uh, global ports in the world. Gene, thanks so much for joining us here. How are things in LA? How are things at the port? If I bring my big ship up, how long do I have to wait? Paul, Matt, good to be with you guys today. The situation is much better. The marine terminals are fluid. The backlog of vessels has gone from 109 in January down to single digits as of today. And those ships that are waiting outside the port stay there no longer than 24 hours before they come in for work. So that's good news. I mean, that sounds like the supply chain issues are simmering down. Um, Is it, can you sound the all clear or are you still concerned? Oh, Matt, the supply chain always needs improvement. You've got to hone your craft every day, but by and large, it's moving in a good, fluid form right now. The dwell times on cargo moving out by truck, which represents two thirds of all of our business, is down to pre-pandemic times. So the cargo velocity is good. Still working on the rail piece, but seeing great improvement over the last eight weeks. And I know the last, you know, the last couple of times you've been here, it's it's not just getting the ships into port. It's like, as you mentioned, getting them unloaded getting the cargo out via either rail or truck, and then finding cargo space, warehouse space. So talk to us about that supply chain as you go out from the port and kind of get into the, 
you know, kind of the storage areas and so on. Right, working our way backwards, there's two billion square foot of warehousing available from the shores of the Pacific to the desert region, Paul. Right now, about 0.2% vacancy. Mm. In more normal times, as we head into that peak season, you'd see about 5% vacancy. Wow. But those warehouses are still filled to the gills. Yep. You've seen people switch from ordering just in case to just in time, taking whatever cargo they could from the manufacturer in Asia, bringing it here to help solve that equation around this insatiable appetite of the American consumer. So, they, so they're stocking up there just in case they need it um, because they're worried that something may happen uh, like we saw in the pandemic and they won't be able to get it. It's not that they can't sell the stuff and it's not that they can't truck the stuff. That's exactly right. And Matt, it's been the buildup over the last two and a half to three years of all this inventory coming in because we've been buying so much. Now at this point, you head into a holiday season where the good segments are a little bit more narrow. Think about what you want for to give the kids and friends for the holidays, winter wear, etc. You've got to get this inventory out of the warehouses and into the economy, and it may look different. It could be patio furniture or flat screen TVs, other products. So you've got two distinct areas to look at, what's gonna sell now and what you have to push into the market. A heck of a lot of the stuff that you guys bring in is coming out of China. And we're focused so much on China yep. today because we got data, uh, economic data out of uh, the second biggest economy in the world. We also got um, some political news. Uh, Xi has cemented his uh, spot at the top for a, an unprecedented third term. Tell us about how important it is to you, China is to your business. All right, having lived in China for over four years and keeping up great relationships there on the business side, I can tell you flat out, for the Port of Los Angeles, it's about 60% of our trade volume essentially the biggest book of business across the board and by far to the number two competitor. The other piece to this is it's been a rocky relationship on the trade and government side over the last four years with the introduction of tariffs, retaliatory tariffs. Yet, I don't even think the authors would have seen that yielded more imports, less exports, and the widest gap in trade in our country's history. Uh, Gene, talk to us about labor. I know in past discussions, it's, it's hard to find folks to unload the ships, to you know, load up the trains and, and trucks and things like that. How's the labor situation in LA? Three segments of labor, Paul. One is the dock worker group. That's about 15,000 folks that are moving the containers on and off ships to truck and rail. That's been solid. They've been at full employment, working on average about six days a week since the pandemic began. Second is the truck driving group. And with about 20,000 drivers registered to do business at the port, they're in good shape as well, but they have a mandate on hours of service, federal regulations, where they can work 11 hours a day, and if they work consecutively, have to take some time off. Matching up the volume with the workers' availability on the trucking side is key. And then last is the warehouse workers. As I mentioned, those warehouses have been full, and that's been a very challenging location to attract, recruit, and retain talent. Got to have more focus on that, whether it's pay, benefits, training, or upward mobility. So, but, you know, the concern is, the concern was getting the people you needed to fill those spots. It looks like you're doing quite well on, on that side. Then paying them, um, a price wage spiral is the big worry for the Fed and for a lot of uh, businesses. Do you see anything like that? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because right now we're in the middle of the dock workers negotiation with their employers association. And I'm sure that one of the hot topics in there is around compensation and benefits, how we look. 
the shipping industry has made a lot of money over the last three years. The workers have been out on those docks working essentially throughout this pandemic and in this surge of cargo, they deserve to be paid as well. Looking at these other workers that are not represented by organized labor is where you'll probably see a change in pace when it comes to pay and retention concepts. 10 million jobs open nationwide, we have not been immune to making sure we have the right people in the proper spots. Mm. So talk to us about the competitive environment on, on the West Coast. Who do you, who does LA really compete against? And, and how, do you, how do you compete against the other ports? Yeah, 40% of the nation's goods move inbound through the ports of LA and Long Beach, about 30% of exports. I like to think we compete against everybody. But realistically speaking, from Asia to the interior of the country, it's the fastest, most efficient way. And with a 20 million population base in Southern California, you've got a local purchasing power that's unlike anywhere else in the country. But the East and Gulf Coast ports have hired really great people, invested and aligned with policymakers. We've got to be on our game every day. I was looking at, uh, like, if I'm coming from Asia, naturally I go to the West Coast, but there were some times when people were coming, the shippers were coming through the canal and going to like Savannah, for example, because it was backed up on the West Coast. Has that been alleviated? No, not really. What we saw were shippers earlier this summer begin their move to bringing cargo through the Panama or Suez canals to the East and Gulf Coast. And in fact, while we were moving record-breaking numbers again this year for the first seven months and working those ships down from 109 right. to basically five this morning, you saw that cargo shift. Gene Soroka, uh, he runs the port of L.A. Lots of boats going in and out. I think it's an important part of the economy. Speaking uh, of export to the United States. Speaking of, hey, so Gene, we've got this crazy strong dollar. Um, when you think about currencies, how does that impact your business? How do you kind of factor that into kind of your planning? Yeah, it makes uh, American imports that much cheaper but it puts a damper on American exports. And that's what we've right. witnessed. We're down 37 of the last 49 months on exports, in part really? okay. by trade policy of the previous administration, and in part by the strength of the US dollar. We're competing against soybeans from Brazil that have a better exchange rate. Textile peace goods coming out of Southeast Asian nations that go into the finished garment again competing against that strong U.S. dollar. So as we try to ramp up every available avenue to pick up U.S. agriculture and manufactured goods, this will continue to be a headwind. It's got to make people also even more interested in sourcing goods out of Asia than they already were. I mean, labor there has gotten more expensive, but as the dollar um, continues to get stronger, that evens things out, right? So I just imagine um, anyone making mass producing goods is going to at least get parts out of Asia. That's right. And it's interesting too, Matt, because the parts and components that we import for American factories are about as much volume as the American retail goods that we talk about so much today. Mm. So that's a really key input to our economy, as well as that volume through the port. You know, Gene, when the pandemic began and we had shortages of various items, most notably uh, the microchips, there's this big discussion, a big move to onshore a lot of stuff. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it personally. I Maybe it's just because I grew up in the world where globalization became the norm. When you talk to your shipping clients, how do they think about that onshoring aspect? Is that really something that's going to be material or do you still think it's going to be 
a global trade environment? It's a real topic of discussion with most who we talk to. In fact, I just had Jay Timmons, the CEO of the North American Manufacturers Group, on our press conference last month. But it's nuanced. It's layered. There's got to be tax policy that supports it. There's got to be a plan for jobs with 10 million jobs open nationwide. We don't have enough workers to go to all these different segments in the American economy. And Matt, as you said, the ability to buy the products at a decent price and get them in here to the factories looks a little bit different than it did even months ago. Yeah. What is your take on what we're going to see in terms of the U.S. economy in the next months and quarters. I mean, there's been so much talk about a recession. We're almost, you know, talking our way in, almost talking our way into it, except for the fact that it's it almost looks like it's not going to happen. Right. So there's some people saying this could be the recession that never transpired. We did see two quarters of contraction, but um, no one's labeled that a recession yet. And it just seems like we could skirt it when you look at how well we're doing an earnings season. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of talk months ago about a soft landing, a hard landing, a little bit of turbulence, a bumpy landing. It's an equation that we haven't seen before. Again, so many jobs open, lowest unemployment since the 1960s. The consumer seems resilient. Flat numbers for July, August, and September where many thought we would fall off a cliff. Producer prices, wholesale prices remaining elevated, and that means that we're still ordering from those folks to do the outputs. So it's going to be interesting, but again, looking at inflation at 8.2%, that's what's on our minds. We feel it at the gas pump, we feel it at the grocery store. Can we get through this on the resilience of the consumer? I think we can. Is just-in-time inventory, is that passe? Because it seems like that's, we all learned that in business school, but then boy, it kind of came up to bite us here during this pandemic. Yeah, I think it's interesting because as we pass through the pandemic and this import surge, no one wanted to be the paper company of 2020. So mm -hmm. they began ordering everything they could. And the fight for factory floor space in Asia was just like it was throughout the supply chain and other segments. I'll take whatever order I can get. And if it's patio furniture or a flat screen TV, maybe it's that, that Barbie doll, I'm gonna take what I can get and therefore I'm gonna build up my inventory so I'm not gonna run out of products for this insatiable appetite of the American consumer. That's yielded yep. a lot of inventory here in the US that now must be bled out, maybe through discounting yep. as we go into this all important holiday season. All right, good stuff. As always, Gene Soroka, thank you so much for joining us live here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We appreciate having these conversations during the past two and a half years uh, on the global supply side, supply chain. That's been a big issue. Matt and I, we consider ourselves, I think, quasi-experts in the supply chain. I'm not necessarily an expert, but I'm willing to get my CDL and drive a truck in and out of the port of Los Angeles. Yeah, I, that might be, you know, if things continue. It's that my might calling. Be, that might be your calling. Yeah. Gene Soroka, uh, the port of Los Angeles, we appreciate it. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm a big fan of the state of California. I mean, there's so much to do there. So many different regions of the state. It's just awesome, I think. Um, I wish the financial capital of America would move there, you know? Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, there's a lot of 
dough out there, no question about it. If you're a technology person, it's already there. California catching Germany as a number four economy. We got Matt Winkler in studio. He's got a column out today talking about California, breaking down the numbers. Matt Winkler, I, I don't know, what he founded Bloomberg News? Is that kind yes, of the thing? Yes, he started Bloomberg and News. And he's like a- Editor-in-chief uh, emeritus. Okay, so that's big, right? Yeah. Okay, that's good. He hires me. He hired you. All right. Despite that, we have him in our studio. Matt, California, say what you will. People, everybody's going to Calif uh, Texas and Florida. California is still the bomb, right? So, Paul and Matt, great to be with you. If you look at um, California, uh, or rather corporate California, which is almost 400 publicly traded companies, there really isn't an industry group or or category where California is number one. And if you add up the growth in sales and uh, profit of these companies since 2020, when COVID uh, disrupted the world economy, you would find that California has actually been on a tear, such a tear that um, it has continued, if you like, this trajectory where uh, it, it leapfrogged Brazil and France in 2015, uh, and supplanted the UK as the number five economy in 2017. And here we are, 2022, if you looked at the uh, trend lines for California and Germany, uh, which we do in the column, uh, they are the narrowest they ever been. And by some estimates, because we're not going to have 22 figures until 23, California has already overtaken Germany as the fourth largest economy in the world. The interesting thing is that the narrative we hear um, I'll say in the media, yes, uh, which is meta because obviously we are the media. But the narrative we hear is that everyone's moving out, right? That California is overtaxing and overregulating all of these businesses, not giving startups a chance or even big companies like Tesla, and they'd rather be in Texas or Alabama um, or Florida. How untrue is that? Why do we well, hear it so much? Well, because. Um you know, the easiest story to write is to go to the local gas station and ask people, are you happy? And the answer is going to be no. Right. And so we have a crisis and uh, it's called a gas crisis. Now, with California, um, the whole notion of, you know, high taxes and regulation just gets blown away because, as I said, there isn't an industry in America where California companies are number one by an overwhelming margin um, against companies in any other state. And that's been true, by the way, over 10 years, five years, two years, one year. But it's especially been true during the period that we call the pandemic because so much innovation occurs in, in California. And we got a lot of innovation during the stay-at-home economy. Many companies that didn't exist prior to 2018 uh, were flourishing by 2021 because California is number one in innovation. And by the way, the proof of that is that the biggest companies in the world, when they have to situate their research and development people, guess where they go? Overwhelmingly to California. It's interesting, Matt, we were talking uh, before we came on the air here about the value of the uh, higher education system in uh, California, the UCAL system, the Cal State system. Um, I mean, it just seems like it's it's been such so strong, so supportive of the entire state's development. And there's really nothing like it that I can think of in any other state. No, I mean, look, uh, Nelson Rockefeller tried to replicate 
what Governor Pat Brown, Jerry's father, did in New York State with the state university system in yep. New York. He tried to replicate that, and he did a lot yeah. to to make it uh, quite uh, robust. However, you're right. Um, you can't find a higher education system um, as diverse as... Um, you know, uh, robust as the one that exists in California. And just, you know, if you look at the Bay Area alone, you've got the University of California, Berkeley, you've got uh, the University of San Francisco, uh, you have Stanford University. Um, and um, it's hard to find anything like those gems. Uh, but actually, they're <laughs> all along the coast. Yep. They're inland. They're everywhere. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the gems of higher education in California are everywhere. And that's created an environment where you get some of the smartest people in the world. And uh, they lead in other industries or areas as well. Well, yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, a, a bleak reference to Tesla. Um, you know, Tesla is now one of the largest, maybe the largest manufacturing company in California because it has uh, something like 55,000 employees. So Elon Musk may have gone to Texas for a tax-free and regula regulation-free lifestyle, mm -hmm. but the people who work for him um, have actually increased numerically in California right. since uh, he made Texas a headquarters. And that's not an isolated example. It's that uh, companies yep. still are there, obviously. Right. All right, good stuff. As always, uh, Matt Winkler, Bloomberg News, Editor-in-Chief Emeritus. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.